Welcome back to Ryan and Brian's Bible Bistro. I'm Ryan. And I'm Brian. And this is the Bible Bistro. What it's is a it, podcast all about the Bible theology and things related to the Christian faith. You know, I went and looked at our our uh, uh, website the other day. By the way, we have a website. You can find us at thebiblebistro.com. Yes. There's a Patreon link there at the top. If you like what we do, uh, you can uh, you can sign up there. There's a sign up for newsletter. There's there's all kinds of things you can do and there. Thank you can you look to at those old... who have sponsored us so far. Absolutely. Just, yeah, so we thankful. appreciate that monthly support. Yeah, and and uh, it helps helps us do what we're doing. But anyway, I went and looked, and I didn't realize you'd put there. That's our actual tagline. I thought you just made that stuff up off the top of your head. So I apologize no, uh, no. for all the times that I tried to correct you from no, th- what no, you I wasn't had just written. saying it just to say it. Yeah, I put it as like a tagline. Like people have to know thought, what this is about. I thought you just made it up. I didn't know. So anyway, uh, you know what? I got accused of that. As it was a joke the other day, we were talking about, I was part of a, a men's Bible study the other day, right. and we're talking about Egypt and things that had happened, a lot of stuff, right. and they're like, this one guy said, this is not to bolster me up anyway, this one guy said, oh, Ryan knows all this stuff about this stuff. The other guy goes, I think he just makes it up half the time, and he just passes it off as confidence. I always and say, I'm, I always say that. I say, yeah, I make up, I make him about have a check me out. You know, that makes people dig in a little bit. So, well, anyway. I, I, that's what you always said at the beginning when we're reading these hard <laughs> names in the Bible. Just say it like you <laughs> what it actually means and just let it ride so right here speaking we of are hard, speaking of hard names now we're in daniel 11 so. yes but anyway so yes you can go to our website the biblebistro.com um upper right hand corner there's a uh, button there to support us we are actively i know i've said this before in the past we are actively working on a refresh of the website we're trying to bring in some the youtube videos in there as well to make it a resource oh, nice. for all that stuff uh so we can put because we reference some books and some things that are going on and so you can, uh, trying to make if, it more of a if you watch us on youtube you can see how well, the different kinds of plaid that we wear so yes the mini <laughs> you know dolly parton's got her coat of many colors i've got my closet of mini plaids um so you can uh, we're actively working on refreshing that to, to bring the youtube in there so we've got yeah. the episodes really easy to get yep. to and then some of the extra resources we, we brian and i were just talking about maybe producing some some new stuff as well True. um so we we uh trying to make that website a, bit, a little bit more for you but uh yeah go ahead and check us out there if you'd like well, and thanks also to those who've uh, said they like the Daniel episodes. Yeah. Uh, so this, some people are really all about the series. Some people like the randomness of our usual randomness. But uh, we're, well, and to, to one of our biggest fans, he he said it, it was you, not me, that that produced. You know, because I <laughs> I said, well, thanks for the shout out about something, and he's like, well, I should maybe do the shout out to Brian because he's the one that's doing the teaching. So our well, biggest fan also likes to give us a good ribbing <laughs> once in a while. Yes. You, uh, well, you, if it were not for you, this podcast would not exist. So, yeah, take um, that, biggest fan. So let's go ahead to Daniel eleven two. Go ahead and read that for me. Uh, now, let me let me preface this 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 is where we get into really kind of deep waters here. Daniel's Daniel eleven and twelve get very specific about events that happened historically. And this is where people who have any problem with predictive prophecy really kind of get lost to Daniel. They're like, oh, this has to be later than the events that are that are being recorded. Now, you get into a real problem because the way that we're going to present Daniel 11 and then into 12 uh, next week is that this is really covering about a 600-year period from from the time of of Daniel himself at mm-hmm. the beginning of this to the time of the of the coming of Jesus and even we're going to go beyond that in, in chapter 12. And so 
it gets really hard because we have <laughs> we have copies of the book of Daniel from, you know, from the Dead Sea Scrolls. And so, you know, we're getting into this period of time that we have manuscript evidence that it is, you know, prior to some the of the events. Prior to some of these events. And so so this is where, again, for me, predictive prophecy isn't an, isn't an issue because I believe God is able to, you know, uh, he, he does that. That's what part of what prophets do. Now I understand prophets also have, uh, and, and they first and foremost speak to their own time. But we also see in Isaiah, for example, some very specific prophecies about the coming of Jesus, for example, or even Jesus' death. Um, and, and so anyway, just thought I would start out with that. Yeah, There's, well, it, and yeah. I'm going to go ahead and say this is a long chapter. There's a lot of history. Again, we're almost 600 years of history we're going to be talking about. And so uh, so I'm going to try to make this as clear as possible. We're not going to necessarily read every verse in this chapter. So I would encourage you uh, to go back later and read Daniel chapter 11 after you've listened to this. Or, you know, if you, if you are not, I don't know, mowing your lawn or walking the dogs or raking the leaves or whatever, uh, you know, maybe follow this one. This one might be one you want to open your Bible next to. So, yeah, there's a lot happening here. I mean, there's even earlier stuff. There's a lot happening, but this is, this is a whole new level of a lot happening. And I think this is where some of the historical, at least for me growing up, this is where some of our historical knowledge is lacking, sure. you know, because we don't understand all the things that are happening. Right. And, you know, right. this history does, you, we don't need anything more than the Bible, but also understanding world history also helps sure. inform what's what's happening in these places. Absolutely, so. absolutely. Yeah, I, well, yeah, I think we need we need to understand that stuff. So anyway, yeah. go ahead and read Daniel 2 for me, or <laughs> Daniel chapter 11, verse 2 for me. Have you had you coffee today? I only had one cup. I, I I was trying to rush and get here. I should have I should have picked up some coffee. All right. but I only had, well, I've only had one cup, so it's only going to be about. You know, you're only going to get one cup full today. <laughs> so okay, it's, here we go. It's better than no coffee, but it's not yes. quite my full caffeinated. Not, not your full level. All right, right, here we go. Daniel chapter 11, verse 2. Now then, I tell you the truth. Three more kings will arise in Persia, and then a fourth, who will be far richer than all the others. When he has gained power by his wealth, he will stir up everyone against the kingdom of Greece. So this vision, as we've seen already, is during the reign of Cyrus. Uh, you might remember last week. Go back and la- listen to last week's if you haven't listened to it yet. You know these are to be done in order, by the way. But uh, 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 last week we saw this was in the third year of the reign of Cyrus. Remember, Cyrus allowed in his first year the the cap- captives in Judea who wanted to go captives in um, Persia who wanted to go back to Judea were able to do so. So this is the third year of the reign of Cyrus. So he's saying that there are three more kings who will arise. If we look historical, then we're talking about historically, we're talking about kings. uh, Cambyses, who who reigned from 530 to 522 BC, Smyrtus, who was just there for short. What? Smyrtus? I don't know. It's just it's a funny name. You know, uh, you can maybe if you're gonna have a child, you know, Smyrtus. I don't know. And then He's such uh, a Smyrtus. And then Darius the Great, uh, not not the earlier Darius, but Darius the Great, 521 to 486 BC. That would make the fourth king Xerxes, and it fits with what we see of um, the description here. We're going to look at it in just a minute. But he would have reigned from 486 to 465. He had a long, significant reign. He was able to he, he accumulated a great deal of power. This is the same Xerxes, by the way, that is called. Ahasuerus in uh, in uh, 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 
Esther, in the book of Esther. If you look at Esther 1, 1, for example, and also he's mentioned in, in Ezra 4, 6. In fact, I'm going to go ahead and uh, let me see if I can find this quickly. I'm going to go ahead. You, you stay in Daniel 11. I'm going to go over to Esther 1 okay. because this describes the the extent of Ahasuerus's As- I always have a hard <laughs> Can you time say that saying again? that. Uh, no, <laughs> Ahasuerus. Um, I actually looked it up because I've, I've wondered before. Uh, the U-E together sometimes is way, and some, sometimes it makes a, the sound way, and sometimes it's ue. But I just wanted to try to force you, don't care. you to stumble over it you again. Don't care. I don't care. I so just wanted to hear you stumble over We say over. Xerxes. Uh, there's just yeah. no X's in, in Hebrew, so they say Ahasuerus. Um, so this is Esther 1.1. This is what happened during the time of Xerxes or Ahasuerus, the Xerxes who ruled over 127 provinces. Now listen to this, stretching from India to Kush. Kush is the Kushites. That, that's North Africa is what we're talking about there. So Egypt and in, in that Libya in that a, area, uh, and so we're talking from the Indus River, from what what is the borders of modern day India. So across Mesopotamia across uh, what we would call, you know, today Jordan and and Iran, and then, of course, the promised land down into Egypt is what Xerxes is ruling. So he was able to expand his his empire. Um, uh, so Xerxes, we'll go ahead and then let, let, read verses 3 and 4 then for me back in Daniel 11. Let me see if I can yeah. get back there. So Then a mighty king will arise who will rule with great power and do as he pleases. After he has risen, his empire will be broken up and parceled out toward the four winds of heaven. It will not go to his descendants, nor will it have the power he exercised because his empire will be uprooted and given to others. Okay, so we, we've talked about this before. And we've seen it at least two other ways but when, uh, about the, the Diadochoi, Alexander the Great and those who follow. But I wanted to come back to Xerxes and just say this. Um, that this one who will rise, this fourth king who will rise and rule his own kingdom with great power, the connection here is Xerxes attacks the Greek Greek homeland because he he mm-hmm. controls this large area. So he attacks the Greek homelands uh, because of an earlier defeat, and this is all from the historian Herodotus. And this then here's the connection. Even though we're talking about not immediately following, but Alexander the Great then is the next thing we're going to talk about. His his incursion against uh, Persia really comes as a result of Xerxes' attacking Greece. Mm -hmm. So in response to that, a hundred and some years later, Alexander comes with his army basically to make sure that they're they're the ones who are in control of this area of the world. Uh, And so that's what I think is the connection. It skips almost a century between verses two and verses three, but the connection is that Xerxes' attack on Greece is what spurs alexander so to speak to go uh toward um toward persia now this word might here is is interesting i spent a little bit of time on this because this is a word that is often used to describe mighty here this mighty king Uh some of your translations will talk about a warrior king and that Mm -hmm. word might is talking specifically about military might and so that that that's a word that sometimes is used in fact I spent probably too much time on it for this short thing I'm going to say, but, but, uh, uh, it's often used for warriors, 
that the the cognates of this word and, and so this is talking about his military might so he's going to be a mighty king it doesn't mean in terms of his political power or whatever it's talking about it's talking about military might and this is what okay. we see with alexander and his armies uh, comes specifically and and um, is able to uh take over this part of the land. But as we've seen, we've and remember, we've seen this already in Daniel. We've seen at least two other times talking about this great king. Remember the one horn on the, on the, on the um, uh, uh, goat, and yeah. then it, it breaks off at the height of his power, and four inferior kings arise, or four other horns grow up. Yep. And, and so this is talking about that period then of the Diadochoi. That's what's going to be the primary concern of chapter 11. We're going to have all this talk about the kings of the north and the kings of the south. And we've talked before, go back and listen to our earlier episodes to talk about the Diadochoi, all four of these generals who who took various parts of Alexander's empire. But the two that we are specifically concerned about, the kings of the north are going to be Seleucids. The Seleucids. They're the general. The general's name was Seleucus, mm-hmm. and uh, uh, that he was a general of Alexander. He's the one who who takes over basically uh, parts of Mesopotamia and Syria, so just to the north of the Promised Land. And then the other one is going to be the Ptolemies. The Ptolemies, and so that's wait, wait, is, is that Ptolemies or uh, I, I? I keep the piece. You say Ptolemy. Well, you're 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 speaking English, and I'm speaking uh, Greek. Southern so. Indiana. Oh, I thought you, you said Greek. I thought you were going to say Southern Indiana. In Greek, it would be Ptolemy. It would okay. you, you pronounce the P. Every um, every consonant is pronounced in Greek. So right? pterodactyl. Okay, <laughs> got it. Now that's Southern Indiana. I'm just I'm just telling I'm just reporting the news. You can do what oh, you want with all it. All right, all right. But, here we uh, go. The, but yeah, the, the, the we, we, use, we use a Ptolemaic Egypt, but it, it, it I mean technically in Greek it is Ptolemy and Ptolemaic. Um, so now I'm going to get all the letters of correction, but but you pronounce every every consonant. So Ptolemy is the general of Alexander who goes down into Egypt. He was smart because Egypt is is very. I would say it's hard to conquer. And so he takes over this area that's going to really, his family, and this is what we're going to be talking about for the next several hundred years, is going to be ensconced in Egypt. They're, they're, they're going to be, it's un- almost impossible to uproot them out of that. So the kings of the north and the kings of the south, go ahead and read verse five for me. And I, I actually had you look at something in the original languages yes. earlier this week that I had noticed here. But yeah. The king of the south will become strong, but one of his commanders will become even stronger than he and will rule his own kingdom with great power. You want to keep going? No, that's just that verse right now. So we have this idea of the kings of the south and the kings of the north. And what I had you do is I had you look up and in the Septuagint, interestingly enough, and so the Septuagint is the Greek translation of the uh, Hebrew Old Testament. In the Greek translation, it doesn't say king of the south here, but I had you look it up. And what does it say? It says, and it says, and he will strengthen the dominion of Egypt. Egypt. Okay. So the, so the south, we're talking in relation to the Holy Land. Mm-hmm. South is Egypt, and then north is Syria. So that's we, we call it Syria. I mean, even though um, the Seleucids control more than just Syria, that we we call it because in relation to the Promised Land, it's the kings of the north and the kings of the south. So the Seleucids and the Ptolemies basically are fighting over this area of land uh, for the next several hundred um, uh, years, and it reminds us again of how important of a of an area. 
the Holy Land is, uh, because it is a land bridge we mentioned before between these two major continents. You can't come across the great e- the great uh, desert, and so you you come up from Egypt across uh, up the coast, and you need to cut across this mountainous region in the center of the Holy Land. You've got to cut across through the Valley of Jezreel in order to get over into the other major superpowers of this period of time, who's which is whoever controls Mesopotamia. So the Seleucids who control Mesopotamia and the Ptolemies who control Egypt, this land is that that's the meeting point. The promised land is the meeting point of those two great empires. And so it's no wonder they're going to be battling back and forth over this. If that, if that makes sense. Yeah. So verse five, it says that there's a commander of one of the Kings of the South. And so this is, this is a reference to Seleucus who initially was a general of Ptolemy and worked with Ptolemy initially. But then after Ptolemy had taken Egypt, uh, 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 Seleucid asked for his help in, in defeating Syria, but then eventually Seleucus, and I'm talking about the person here, not just the, the dynasty, Seleucus eventually uh, rebels against Ptolemy and tries to, tries to defeat him. So that's what's all being referred to in verse 5. Um, and so Seleucid, as it, as it mentions here, Seleucus ends up exceeding Ptolemy's power because he extends his his reign really back to the Indus River. So essentially it was that that part of Alexander's empire that he had chosen as his capital that that Seleucus initially is the one who's in control of. Okay, so I just want to rewind this. <laughs> so okay, so you've got the 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 Seleucid kingdom on the north you got the Ptolemies in the south, but yeah. Seleucus, the the, it, the general, the general before he established the the one in the north yes. is just a, a just under the Ptolemies, a, a general, and that's what's being talked about in verse five. Before mm-hmm. he rebels and goes yeah, to the and north, and so then he asked for help from Ptolemy uh, to take Syria, and initially they worked together, but then eventually Seleucus's power really becomes greater than Ptolemy's because he he extends from Syria. I mean, I said Egypt was a really smart move because it's very difficult to uproot them, but also there's not a lot of expansion. Yeah, you're kind of isolated down there, and so so he extends to to all the way to the Indus River. So that's that's what's going on here. Does that all make sense? Am I clear as mud? <laughs> yes. No. Well, I think the thing is, it is, is like it is. It's, well, it's hard for to me. Follow. Like I already thought the North. I thought they'd already split at this point. Right. But no, that the, right. it, it the Seleucus and Ptolemy, quickly. Yeah, yeah, are together, and then they go up to get Syria, yeah. and then Seleucus is like, "Get yes. out of here! It's mine." And now. then, and then he takes over even more. He becomes greater in power. And and here's the other thing that makes this all confusing to talk about. As I've mentioned to you before, these none of these people were very creative when it came to coming up with names for their children. Yeah, Seleucus the so, second. Right, and 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 so it's basically the Seleucid Empire is made up entirely of Seleucus or Antiochus, and the Ptolemies only use the name Ptolemies, so it's you know, it it gets a little Ptolemy, and like five people turn around and say what? (laughs) Well, they all end up with nicknames too, uh, which I didn't really get into because that even makes it more confusing. But uh, anyway, we'll we'll try to keep it all straight. So look at verse six then. Okay, I'm looking at it. You read, read it, it, please. Yeah, thank you. <laughs> after some smart, years, they will be <laughs> after some years they will become allies. The daughter of the king of the south will go to the king of the north to make an alliance, but she will not retain her power, and he and his power will not last. 
And those days she will be betrayed together with her royal escort and her father and the one who supported her. So this is not referring to the original Ptolemy and Seleucus. Uh, and, and really what you have as we look down through here is we're going to have four kind of vignettes that take place where the kings of the south and the kings of the north are in uh, you know, some kind of relationship to one another. And the first is what we saw with the, the general that then becomes greater and has a greater um, um, empire in, in the, uh, in the e eventually. This is a reference then to Ptolemy II, who's the son of Ptolemy I, and Antiochus II. So, so Antiochus II is the, is the Seleucid king, and Ptolemy II is the Ptolemaic king at this period of time, king of Egypt, king of Syria, let's, let's call it that we're, way. We're on, we're on the deuces now. <laughs> right, right. So Antiochus II, Ptolemy II. Ptolemy's daughter was Bernike, and I know you're going to say Bernice, but again, Bernice. Let's, let's, let's pronounce it Bernike. I mean, I like to call her Bernice. I'd like to think of her as a Bernice. Bernike. But, uh, well, that's, it, it. well, never mind. You don't care. But she, no, I don't. She was married to Antiochus II, and they had a child together. So this is what that's talking about, that alliance, that that was an attempt to make an alliance between the Ptolemaic and the Seleucid Empire. But after they had the child, and, and after a couple of years, Antiochus II um, left or put her away mm -hmm. and ended up marrying another woman. And so that dissolved that, you know, that, that alliance. Mm -hmm. What really then is is kind of, you know, there's a lesson here someplace, but basically Antiochus II was then assassinated by his new wife. Eh, you know. this, is, this is Proverbs. There's some Proverbs <laughs> about this. So he's assassinated. Ber, uh, Bernicke and the son are also killed during this period of time, assassinated by some other people. And um, so what happens next then is that uh, – uh, the ones who, who come to the throne after this then, well, go ahead and read verses 7 through 10 because this is going to describe this. Yeah. This isn't easy. I mean, this is drama. <laughs> I, dude, it, it, it's, it is. And, and again, we're spanning several hundred years, a lot of kingdoms, kind of kings arising and, and falling and yeah. so forth. One from her family line will arise to take her place. He will attack the forces of the king of the north and enter his fortress. He will fight against them and be victorious. He will also seize their gods, their metal images, and their valuable articles of silver and gold and carry them off to Egypt. For some years, he will leave the king of the north alone. Then the king of the north will invade the realm of the king of the south. <laughs> but will retreat to his own country. His sons will prepare for war and assemble a okay, great you, army. Okay, you got too far. Where are you at? No, what verse I, are you I was on 10. I was on 10. Oh, where are you? Okay, I apologize then. Okay, because we're going to talk about that in a minute. I easy, apologize. Easy, I should have said through nine probably, but Okay, we'll, we'll, we'll then I'll it. stop. We'll stop. We'll get to it. So the one who is going to arise from her own line is a reference to her brother, whose name is, any guesses? Uh, Ptolemy. Ptolemy the third. Well, the third at okay. this point. <laughs> so... So Bernice, uh, Bernicke's it's brother. cubed, right? Yeah. It's <laughs> like L cubed. Yeah. So Ptolemy the third is the is the brother of of Bernicke. and so he goes up in order to avenge her death, basically, and uh, he's able to eventually connect, uh, capture the people who assassinated her and and her son, and he has them executed, and um, he. It, it talks about the, something about their gods. What did it say about that? That he, he's during this period of time uh, able he, uh, to. 
he i'm sorry i'm sorry that's uh, fine what he, what he does is he captures some uh he will, seize, he will seize their gods their metal images and their valuable articles of he, silver and gold and carry he, them off he captures some of the syrian idols out of the temples up there while he's there and brings them back down to egypt you know way to kind of show his power and his his significance there and, and so that's what happens there uh, then the next thing, and you're you're beginning to read about this. There's two brothers now that arise, and this is where it gets to where. And, and I know all this has been kind of quick, but this is where it begins to really become important for our, you know, to see how this all developed. Essentially, the kings of the north and the kings of the south. Okay. How about I start with nine because it talks about the king of the north. Sure, go ahead yeah. and do that. Then the king of the north will invade the realm of the king of the south, but will retreat to his own country. His sons will prepare for war yes. and assemble a great army, which will sweep on like an irresistible flood and carry the battle as far as his fortress. Okay, so let's stop there for just a moment. Seleucus the third and Antiochus the third. I'm not making this up. Oh, wait, wait. They're two brothers. Seleucus They're brothers. The third. Okay. Seleucus the third and Antiochus the third are brothers. Okay. Seleucus trip. And, and they begin. They begin to increase the power and, and uh, of their dynasty, and specifically Antiochus the third worked with the people of Judea. So he worked with the Jews, and, and what they were trying to do is that they were trying to overthrow Ptolemaic rule. So that's why the Jews were willing to work with the Syrians at this point, because the Egyptians during this entire period of time, the Ptolemies during this entire period of time, had had control over the Holy Land. So the people of Jerusalem are going, oh, this is great. We've got these people from the north, the kings of the north who are coming, and they're going to help us overthrow uh, Ptolemy. What they did not realize <laughs> and what they soon found out, however, uh, what was the what was the who song? Uh, uh, have you what meet the new boss, same as the old boss? Mm-hmm. Um, that what we have happening here is that the Seleucids are not going to be any better than the Ptolemies, and in fact, we're going to find eventually they are worse than than the Ptolemies that the Jews worked with in order to order to overthrow. What's important here is that Antiochus the Third works with the people of Judea in in order to overthrow them. And this is going to cause some some difficulties uh, later on. Um, so we're talking now right around 200 BC in that in that period of time uh, is where we find ourselves. By this time, then after that defeat of the Egyptians, the next king arises and he he's he's actually his father's killed when he's relatively young. He takes the throne. His his name, any guesses? Uh King of the South. Oh, uh let me guess. Ptolemy? Ptolemy the Fifth. Okay, Ptolemy yeah. the Fifth yeah. is is a child king. Then he takes the throne at five years old. Mm-hmm. And uh, and again, that, that shows us a little bit about the strength of the Syrians at this period of time in relation to the strength of Ptolemy. So the the Seleucids are more powerful during this time. They're able to extend their rule down into the Holy Land. And uh, you know, again, with the help of the, the Jewish people, they're able to kick the Ptolemies out. So what Antiochus the Third then wanted, and I'm going to t- say this: Antiochus the Third had lots of ambition. Uh, he wanted to, he, he really wanted to to establish himself over all of Alexander's old Alexander the Great's old uh, empire. So he tried to take Egypt then by making a political alliance, and so he sent his daughter. 
and, and we're going to read about this uh, again. Let's let's not read these these verses, but read down through verse twenty, uh, verses eleven through twenty. Not you, but if you at home, if you yeah. want to know what we're talking about here, read verses eleven through twenty, and you're going to see again how specific these these connections are between the scripture and what happened historically. But Antiochus the third sent his daughter down to marry Ptolemy the fifth. Now Antiochus the third's daughter was named, drumroll please. Cleopat- Cleopatra. Oh. It's not the that Cle- Cleopatra. No, Cle- this is Cle- this is Cleopatra the first. Okay, you're thinking about Cleopatra the seventh. Oh, have I have I mentioned that these people were not very creative when it came up with <laughs> naming their children? Well, I, yeah, you know what I meant. The Cleopatra that six generations later would become Cleopatra that we know about. The whole Egypt. Cleopatra, Mark Anthony. She is Cleopatra the seventh. Uh, it has to do, Patra is, is the word for father. It has to do with the gods of the father, um, follower of the gods of the father or something to that effect. But anyway, Cleopatra the seventh is the one you're thinking of. This is Cleopatra number the one. First. Wait, yeah. I'm, what's the age difference here we got now? Because if Ptolemy uh, uh, the fifth now, is like now, five. Now wait, wait, we haven't, you're, you're giving away what's coming next because he is seven years old. <laughs> When Cleopatra is Cleopatra the first is sent down to marry him, so they delay this for five years. They they delay the marriage for five years until he's you know twelve, and so that's what it does <laughs> right. Talk about drama. Yeah. So, but again, it's a political marriage, right? Right. So, and I tell you, it gets better. You're you're not going to believe what happens. So Antiochus III sends his daughter Cleopatra the first down to marry Ptolemy the fifth. He gets to be of age. He gets to be 12 years old. They marry. And so then, remember why had Antiochus III done this? In order to politically control Egypt. But the problem is that his daughter, on every issue, takes the side of her husband. That's probably because she's mad. (laughs) I'm going to guess. Like, you well, sent me down here to marry a child. It could be that. It, she, she's down there for a period of time, too. I think she may become sympathetic to the to the people. She becomes connected to the people. You know, she's been down there for five years before they, the marriage even takes place. So he's thwarted from being able to take over Egypt. So now he does control the Holy Land at this period of time, Antiochus III. So here's what really becomes interesting is he decides that he's going to Antiochus the third. Now think this is really important. Hold on to this. Antiochus the third decides to expand westward. Again, he's trying to take over all of Alexander's old area. He attacks. Eventually he, t- he attacks the islands along the Mediterranean, but he eventually goes to, to attack the Greek homeland. And he is thwarted in that. He's expelled. And actually, they drive him back into Asia Minor, and he's defeated in Asia Minor as well by a group that has arisen from even further west who are known to us as the Romans. Mm. So the Romans are now on the scene. They're the ones who now control uh, Greece. Um, part of what happens when he goes he goes back into Asia Minor if you can imagine that on a map from Greece, his son, Antiochus III's son, whose name is Antiochus, Antiochus IV, IV. <laughs> who's going to become very important for us later. They don't have baby books back then, you know, baby name books. <laughs> they did. They were just only one page. but uh, <laughs> With one name on it. 
What are we going to name this one? Uh, Antiochus. Flip it. Flip a coin. Yeah. Well, and Antiochus's brother's name was Seleucus. But we'll get to that in a minute. So Antiochus, who's who's going to be known as Antiochus Epiphanes, just to give away the the end of the story. So Antiochus the third son is taken. Uh, as a hostage by the Romans after they defeat Antiochus III. And he is taken back to Rome for 12 years. Mm. So he's taken as a captive. And I think, again, when we get to Antiochus IV and we see his ruthlessness, we see uh, just the things that he does, I think I think this is what this is what happens. Antiochus III then, so this is Antiochus IV's dad. Antiochus III is killed in 187 B.C., so his son, not Antiochus the fourth, but Seleucus the fourth, succeeds him, and then after Antiochus the fourth comes back, Seleucus the fourth dies under mysterious circumstances. We think he was probably poisoned dun, dun, yeah. by Antiochus the fourth, who then takes the throne. Antiochus the fourth Epiphanes then takes the throne and becomes center to this whole period of time. No. And, and he's like, a, he's a Roman, is he a Roman installment then at this point? He, he he has been, he's learned, I think, from the Romans. The Romans are not yet concerned with this this part of the world. They're still grinding it out further They're heading west. this way. Now, now, again, let's go back to what we've talked about before, just to kind of set, set the stage for this. When we have Alexander the Great and his conquest pictured, it's always these fast... Um, you know, he 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 moves across the entire unknown world quickly, right? Like he's, a goat. He's, it's a real sweep, quick sweep. <laughs> like a goat with four wings that whose yeah. feet doesn't touch the ground, right? Or leopard with with bird's wings. He's he's fast and and he takes it quickly and doesn't consolidate it. You said grinding, and that's the word I usually use for this. The Romans, on the other hand, they take their their territory in a slower pace, but they are able to consolidate it. And that's why we have the Roman Empire existing as long as it does, I think, is because they were able to um, enforce uh, <laughs> peace, I guess, enforce their rule over over the, the their entire kingdom. So it's a different it's a different animal. He's a different beast. Um, you see what I'm saying? Is it is, yeah. is 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 they're able to grind that out? Questions. So we've gone through a lot right now. We're getting ready to get into some really important stuff. But but anything anything to this to this point that you have questions about, or does that does that is it all clear? Or uh, sh- sure. Uh, yeah. I mean, it's clear. I, I it's clear. I mean, this is. You know, I think this is. This is why the history is important, you know, yeah. to, to to see this stuff. And it's oftentimes, as if again, I, this is not where I'm not shorting the Bible in any way, shape, <laughs> shape, or form here. But right. like the importance of understanding the world history of what's happening, sure. what's going on here. Because I think if if we don't, um, we can get all kinds of crazy things out of this. But to see that, like how this plays out, is is really interesting. Right. Uh, what's What's going on there? Because yeah. again, we don't. But if you don't have this information, you're like, well, what is happening here, and what is this? What what is this supposed to mean? Right. So no, no, no questions. I, um, you know, I'm thinking as I read this, you know, if it were when you were talking about the that the so you know the the Judeans uh, shook off the Ptolemies, Ptolemies and took on the Seleucids, and they weren't any better, right? 
I keep thinking, gosh, man, they're probably thinking back to Deuteronomy like, man, if we had just listened the first time, we wouldn't be, you know, you're shaking off, you right. know, shaking off one to, to take on another tyrant to, you know, like, and it's yeah. just, you're going back and forth. But just that idea of like, yeah. I, I was thinking about the blessings and curses of Deuteronomy again and kind of going like, right. the, the, this curse has the, the long standing, long, uh, uh, how long they've they've lived through turmoil because of right. choices. So anyway, that's so all let me let me read a little bit. I said we weren't going to read all this. Let me read just a little bit of of Daniel eleven, starting in verse sixteen. Again, just kind of set the stage and, and kind of make clear what we're talking about here. The invader, and this is talking about Antiochus the third. The invader will do as he pleases. No one will be able to stand against him. He will establish himself in the beautiful land. The beautiful land is talking about the holy land here. Mm-hmm. Uh, and he will have the power to destroy it. He will determine to come with the might of his entire kingdom and will make an alliance with the king of the south. And he will give him a daughter in marriage. So that's Cleopatra the first being married to Ptolemy the fifth in order to overthrow the kingdom. But his plans will not succeed or help him. Then he will turn his attention to the coastlands and will take many of them. This is where we talk about him moving toward the west and and, and turning his, his attention there. But a commander will put an end to his end insolence and will turn his insolence back on him. After this, he will turn back toward the fortresses of his own country, but will stumble and fall. This is his, his death in 187 and be seen no more. Verse 20, his successor will send out a tax collector to maintain the royal splendor. In a few years, however, he will be destroyed, yet not in anger or in battle. And so that's where we we historically, it seems that he was probably poisoned by Antiochus the fourth. So verses 21 through 24 now are the rise of Antiochus the fourth Epiphanes who succeeds his brother says Lucas the fourth. He'll be succeeded by a contemptible person who has not been given the honor of royalty. He will invade the kingdom when its people feel secure, and he will seize it through intrigue. That's probably, again, that that idea of a poisoning. Then an overwhelming army will be swept away before him. Both it and the prince of the covenant will be destroyed. Probably a reference to the high priest, right? The leaders of, of, of that. Mm-hmm. And after coming to an agreement or a covenant is actually the word that you'll see in some of your translations, probably a better uh, translation. After coming to a covenant with him, he will act deceitfully, and with only a few people, he will rise to power. When the richest provinces feel secure, he will invade them and will achieve what neither his fathers nor his forefathers did. He will distribute plunder, loot, and wealth among his followers. He will plot the overthrow of fortresses, but only for a time. So this goes back then to what we've seen in previous chapters. In chapter 7, of Daniel and also in chapter 10 uh, what what it talked about then is that at this point is when that that um, uh, abomination that brings desolation will be set up in the temple that he will be the one who who uh, overthrows the Jewish people and again part of this is because they resisted him uh, after they begin to see how his father had been Antiochus the third and now how he is as he comes in they begin to resist this and and Antiochus the fourth isn't going to have any of that so when they begin to resist him he utterly destroys um, he, he tries to wipe out Judaism. And then we've seen the Maccabees. Uh, obviously, we've talked about them before um, doing that. 
<clears throat> so, so is he coming in with an army to against yeah. his brother, or is uh, he, he when he takes over from his brother? So, so his dad's Antiochus the third, right? He's the king. He's the one who has the army. Dad, dad's dead. Yeah. So Lucas the fourth gets. Mm-hmm. So he his, controls his, the army. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And then we think that Antiochus comes back and is like, "Oh, my brother, my brother!" And then a little yeah, bit have of a coke, right? Yeah, have. Yeah, a little cyanide or whatever yeah, right. they do kills him, and then he be and so then they elevate. He becomes him as the, the king, okay, and then and then through intrigue, and then um and then so the army belongs to him. His and what so his then, father then he's built. just like, all right, I'm going to do what I want to do now. Exactly, and so he so you remember his dad wanted to take Egypt. Well, guess what he wants to do? He wants to take Egypt as well. So he goes down and he tries to take it by force. He's unsuccessful. They're able to repel him. Uh, when he comes back then, and here's what's happening. Here's what goes on. Let me read this then, uh, verses 25 through 30. With a large army, he will stir up his strength and courage against the king of the south. So Egypt, right? Mm-hmm. The king of the south will wage war with a large and very powerful army, but he will not be able to stand because of the plots devised against him. Those who eat from the king's provisions will try to destroy him. His army will be swept away and many will fall in battle. The two kings with their hearts bent on evil will sit at the same table and lie to each other, but to no avail because an end will come at the appointed time. The king of the north will return to his own country with great wealth but his heart will be set against the Holy Covenant. Now, basically what happened is when he's repelled there in Egypt, he takes it out on Judea because that's, that's the way back home, right? You know, you go, you, he, he went down through Judea in order to try to take Egypt. When he is repelled, he goes back into Judea. And this is where we go see him going into the temple and taking the articles out and beginning to beginning to um, take his actions against against. Uh, the the holy land against jerusalem specifically okay and let me ask you a question okay. can i ask you a question sure if it, it, this is probably if you're just listening this is probably a good time to have your bible <laughs> open for this um but back in verse uh back in verse 22 it says that yeah. in an overall army swept away uh, swept away before him what is who is that army that swept away um i'm I'd have to look. I honestly don't know. Okay, off the top but of my anyway, head. I think it, it and I, a I prince think, of the covenant will be destroyed. So, has he already killed a high priest when he first takes power, or is this yes. kind of like a foreshadowing of what's? No, coming? I think this is him. This is him. Uh, yeah, killing the high priest when he takes power. And the I high think priest the, of Judea, of Judea, or, of Jerusalem. Okay, right, of Jerusalem. Okay. Right, and the army. I, 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 I don't know if that's if that would be a reference to Egypt or not. That would be my guess. I'll have to look. We'll, we'll answer okay. that next week. Well, let I was me, just, I was more about research. the high priest. Like if he killed the high priest before he waged war in the south, right? Before he waged war with Egypt, right. and then he's still like, I, I didn't like them. That's why I killed them. And then now he's coming back. To and then he the, comes the back and he comes back with a vengeance basically is what, what I'm trying to say here at this, at this point and, okay. and has his heart set against the, so he's the, mad. He's mad that he didn't yeah. get what he wanted in Egypt. And now he's, but he's like, I want to fight somebody that I know I can win. Now here's, what's really interesting in verse 29. It says at the appointed time, he will invade the South again, but this time the outcome will be different from what it was before ships of the Western out uh, coastlands and and there you're going to have different different words sometimes uh, that will be translated there Um, they will oppose him and he will lose heart so what happens is this this is historically the second time that antiochus the fourth tries to invade egypt he is met at the border by ships from rome 
Mm. And basically the ships from Rome say, stop it. <laughs> and so he As turns Rome back. Does. Well, and Rome, again, Rome at this point is is increasingly powerful. Uh, Antiochus IV goes back. And you might remember then the Maccabees arise. So we have, we have Mattathias and Judas Maccabeus and all that story we've told in a different place. But basically this um, – this revolution against Antiochus IV and the you know Syrians are trying to wipe out Judaism. Their revolution against uh, Antiochus IV eventually is successful, and part of the reason is because because uh, Antiochus IV remembers what happened to his dad. <laughs> mm-hmm. That's why he's mad at the South. Well, but but and what I'm saying is Antiochus. The third, remember, was repelled after he went into Greece. The Romans, yeah, did it there. Yeah, and so he back. Rem- and that's when took Antiochus the fourth with them. And so he re- exactly. So he remembers all of that. And so what eventually happens now is Romans are coming. They press on his on his um, east or his western borders to the point that he no longer can worry about Judea. So after and that's what's so interesting to me about this whole thing is Judas Maccabeus and his followers are able to establish a Maccabean rule here for a period of time, but that's because you the know Romans. the Romans are coming and and the Syrians, uh, you know, again let's think about the Seleucids. Let's call them at this point. The Seleucids are suddenly engaged in this much, much bigger battle with, with this Roman empire, mm. uh, who, who again will eventually come and take, take, um, take over, um, the Holy land as well, but in a different, in a different way. All right. So let's do a history of rewind here. Can we do this? So Antiochus, <laughs> I'll try. Okay. So I, I just want to make sure so Antiochus, the fourth also uh-huh. t- called Antiochus Epiphanes. Epiphanes doesn't like the, the people. He tries to go to Egypt one time to take them doesn't work comes back like he's mad at judeans takes it out on them right yep that's exactly right goes back again has some Mm -hmm. success until he meets the The romans Romans. and the romans are like hey bro turn around go turn around go back Mm -hmm. so then he comes back that's when he desecrates the temple yes okay so tychus is Fourth, he's got a rage issue. Uh, uh, he's he's an angry guy. <laughs> well, that's why I wanted to go back and talk about what happened with his dad, right? And and talk about the fact that he was taken by the Romans for twelve years mm-hmm. as as a hostage. You know that that's going to mess you up when right. you're a his kid. His hostage takers know? are back, and they're they're <laughs> right. and so he's like, I want to keep doing this, but you're saying no. Yeah. So he comes back. That's when he desecrates the temple. Yeah. And so then the Romans keep. Keep pushing, pressing, pressing against them. Yeah, and during so the period, after- and remember that we know this period, right? It's, it's time two times and a half time, right? So it's mm-hmm. three and a half years that the temple is desecrated, and then Judas Maccabeus and his followers are able to go in on Hanukkah, right? On the well, 20th- it's not Hanukkah. It's not Hanukkah until after not yet, do. right? It's the twenty fifth of December, though, is when they go in and and they're able to establish reestablish the sacrifice. They're able to light the menorah. They, you know, it, right? So Antiochus desecrates the temple. And then there's some from Judea, people, mm-hmm. Judeans that rise up against them. And that's yeah. Judas Maccabeus. Yeah, the Maccabees. And, and then they're yeah. the ones that that fight against Antiochus in Jerusalem, get the right. temple back. And the only reason they're able to do that is because Antiochus yeah. is concerned now that his one-time captors are now starting to take his – are putting pressure on him and yes. probably going to 
destroy him. And and they eventually do. And and we'll bring in the Romans here at the very, very end. Um, and, and so we get to verses 36 through 39, and there's a little bit of a controversy about this. There are some people who think this may be a further description of Antiochus Epiphanes. But there are others, and, and I would put myself in this camp, who think this is actually a description of a different ruler who's going to come in and have an influence on the Holy Land and particularly Judea during this period of time. And and we talked told his story. I think I've talked about his story on here before. If not, we'll do a whole episode on it. But it's a guy that you may have heard of by the name of Herod the Great. Mm-hmm. And, of course, we're getting, you know, next next week's Thanksgiving or this week's Thanksgiving. Sorry. Podcast time. <laughs> Podcast time. This week is Thanksgiving. We're getting into Advent uh, season. And, uh, you know, the Christmas story involves this guy, Herod the Great. And and that's who I think we're talking about. Now, the interesting thing is Herod and his father um, um, Herod. had dealings with the Romans. <laughs> well, no, he wasn't. His father was, uh, I can I can never, um, yeah, well there, well, there were different Herods, right? There was Herod Antipas. I'm just, and, I'm, but anyway. We've been having a joke about children being named like their father. Okay. But this, is, this is Herod the Great, Herod the Builder. Uh, sometimes called Herod the baby killer because he's the one who we have the slaughter of the innocents in in, um, in Matthew that he was he was the one who was responsible for. But Herod uh, in, is the one who who probably is being referred to here verses thirty six to thirty nine. So read it, and I'll tell you why I think in just a minute. But go ahead and read verses thirty six to thirty nine for me. Right. The king will do as he pleases. He will exalt and magnify himself above every god and will say unheard of things against the god of gods. He will be successful until the time of wrath is completed, for what has been determined must take place. He will show no regard for the gods of his ancestors or for the one desired by women, uh, nor will he regard any god, but will exalt himself above them all. Instead of, of them, he will honor a god of fortresses, a god unknown to his ancestors. He will honor with gold and silver, with precious stones and costly gifts. He will attack the mightiest fortresses with the help of a foreign god and will greatly honor those who acknowledge him. He will take make them rulers over many people and will distribute the land at a price. Now, you might remember that part of Herod's he, he he has this this group that's that's close to him who the Herodians right that's what we call them the Herodians who who have their power because of Herod the Great and we're talking about again in in Judea in the the people the Jewish people uh, so some people again think this is further description of Antiochus the fourth I think it's Herod and here's the reason I think it's Herod is because this next part starting in verse 40 seems to be a description of the coming of the Romans. Oh, and this is what I was going to say. Both Herod and his father, you might remember, depended upon the Romans for their power. Right. Uh, Herod uh, fled. You might remember his his father had been appointed governor over over Judea. Uh, there was an uprising against them. Herod and his father and, and his family had to flee to Rome. Herod there was appointed governor of Judea, or actually a king of Judea. He was the king of the Jews. And, and so he was sent back. Basically, they appointed him that, but then he had to go back and he had to quelch uh, squelch, I guess, is the word I'm looking for. <laughs> I don't know what quelch means, but look it up. But squelch this this rebellion and and um, exhibit control. And you know all the stories then about how Herod did that. 
He, he was a ruthless person when it came to, to this. Builder, he built great fortresses, but he established himself as the ruler over Judea during this period of time. But we're getting toward this very important period, right? Mm-hmm. So here's what here's here's the reason I think this is here. It is what what comes next, actually. And so it starts in verse 40. It says, at that time, the end of the king of the south will engage him in battle, and the king of the north will storm out against him with chariots and cavalry and a great fleet of ships. He will invade many. You have to be really careful, by the way, if you're reading that quickly to say fleet of ships, because if it comes out wrong, <laughs> not that I've ever had that happen. Uh-huh. But anyway, they, they will come out against him with chariots and cavalry and a great fleet of ships. Now, who does that even sound like? Just think about that. Just hold on to that a minute. He will invade many countries and will sweep through them like a flood. He will also invade the beautiful land. Many countries will fall, but Edom, Moab, and the leaders of Ammon will be delivered from his hand. He will extend his power over many countries. Egypt will not escape. So finally, we're going to find that Egypt is itself going to be taken uh, during this period of time. He will gain control over the treasures of gold and silver, riches of Egypt with the Libyans and the Cushites in submission. But reports from the east and the north will alarm him, and he will set out with a great rage to destroy and annihilate many. He will pitch his royal tents between the seas at the beautiful holy, holy mountain, yet he will come to his end, and no one will help him. So... That sounds a lot like the Romans coming with Herod's help in order to not only take the Holy Land, but also to extend their control down into Egypt as well. Mm-hmm. So that's what I think is going on uh, during during that part. That's why I think 36 through 39 is a reference to Herod. Because of the, the, the chariots and cavalry and the great fleet of ships. I mean, that's Rome. That seems to be Rome. Yeah. And, yeah, and that, that Egypt, historically, Egypt, you know, it's finally controlled by Rome as they as they come through to basically. So uh, let me ask you this question. So earlier we had Antiochus trying to take Egypt, and the Romans are saying like, "No, don't do it." Yeah. So do the Romans? The Romans didn't take Egypt then at that point. They just not told at that them point. That, yeah, mm-hmm. they just told Antiochus like, "Turn around, tiger." It was a small at that point. They had sent a small um, fleet of of ships. Basically it was just a small envoy that went down to tell him to, to turn back. It wasn't it wasn't it was political force, not military force, that caused him to turn back the second time. Mm. Uh if if you get what I'm saying. It yeah. wasn't because they were superior in number <laughs> at that point. Right. It, it, but where they are cons- where they are at this point is up in Asia Minor, mm-hmm. pressing in, beginning to press in on his western borders. And so so that's you know they they come around that way, if you will. Right. Um, they eventually work their way down, down and, to the south to take. You know, Egypt. and they end up controlling the Mediterranean, which is going to be. If you're going to take Egypt, that's the way you've got to do it, right? You're going to have to control shipping lanes. You're going to have to control the Mediterranean, you know, and they they do all of that. So that was one of the problems Alexander had is is not controlling a navy in the same way that Rome did. But yeah, yeah. Well, I mean, he did pretty good for what he had. Uh, he did. Fa- he, he did better. He, he, I don't know better. He did differently than anybody else had ever done. I mean, that's that's why we call him Alexander, Alexander the Great. The Great, right? right. You know, he's not Alexander the So-So. Um, <laughs> we wouldn't be talking about Alexander if he had been the mediocre Alexander. Yeah. So again, what what all this is setting up then 
And again, it's remarkable when you look at the specificity of the of the events that are like the mar- royal marriages, the the defeats, and all this. You understand why people go look at Daniel and go, uh, "This is this has got to be written after the fact." You right? This is twenty twenty hindsight. But but all this is is remarkable, and and all of it is leading toward, I think. Um, what what we saw earlier? Do you remember uh, uh, when we went went back in, in ten and and um, Daniel is concerned for his people going back after the seventy years, mm-hmm. and instead we have the seventy sevens, right? And we have look, I'm going to do something for you, your people, that is going to bring salvation in a different way, mm-hmm. and this is all. This is is an expansion of that story. I think to talk about the coming of all the things that are going to happen before that, but then the coming of this one who is going to be the savior, who is going to be um, the ultimate king. And since we mentioned this, and this is this since I've kind of foreshadowed this already, look at what we have then in in, in the beginning of chapter twelve. It says at that time Michael, the great prince who protects your people, will arise. There'll be time of distress that just not happened from the beginning of the nations until then. But at that time, your people, everyone whose name is found written in the book will be delivered. Multitudes who sleep in the dust of the earth will awake, some to everlasting life, others to shame and everlasting contempt. So we're talking about, you know, this is apocalyptic literature, right? And we're talking about this idea of. Um, you know, despite all these wars and and these this intrigue, these foreign kings, these invaders, right, who are trying to destroy God's people, that that God's promise is that that I'm bringing a kind of salvation that that you can't even imagine, right? I'm going to raise the dead. We're gonna, we're going to have uh, we're going to have a different kind of salvation than you can even picture uh, is what's going to happen. Yeah. Woo. <laughs> a lot happening. Yeah, so next week we should be able to finish up Daniel 12, and that'll be the end of the book of Daniel. So other questions, anything else that that leaves you with? And I, I know there's some some details. Well, I have to remember, I'll have to go back and listen to our episode to remember that one I said I would talk about next week. It was, yeah, yeah I'll, I'll, I'll look look for it. But Yeah. No, I, I think this is, uh, you know, trying to demystify some of it that seems right. to be... Um, and again, the original hearers of this would have understood the, probably the history of how they got there. As much as we, some of it for us, modern people, you know, separated by 2,000 <laughs> right. years, over 2,000 right. years, you know, it's like, we don't know who that, oh, you know, rulers yeah. and so forth is. But like this, the this original is very clear hearers, Yeah, the original hearers of Daniel, I don't think this had experienced this yet. But the promise is God's basically saying, hey, there's a lot <laughs> There's a lot of war. There's intrigue. Mm-hmm. There, there are these evil kings that are, who are going to seek to destroy you. I mean, that's that's the message, right? They, they're seeking to do to, to do away with God's people. But you need to hold fast to the promise that God is bringing a savior, uh, and he has um, he has a, an army on his side that is greater than and is 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 un, an unseen army. Let's call it that is greater than all of, all the armies of this world and and that's what i think is the is the message he's getting across but you're talking about like in the time of jesus for example when he starts using yes. this kind of language or the time of of john when he starts to use the lang- language of daniel to express what's what's about to happen as well mm-hmm. 
Um, yeah, I think that's yeah. correct. And it just, you know, the message of Daniel through this is hold on. And I always say that we've made this correlation before I've tried to draw it is the revelation that relies so heavily on that. Right. That take some of this imagery is the mm-hmm. message there is hold on. <laughs> you know, yeah, the, the, the same way that God was able to deliver his people despite, you know, all these rising and falling empires. And just think about that, the message that that, that gives us, the these great, I mean, Rome, greatest empire on the face of the earth, right? Alexander the Great, this incredible conqueror. Those guys have risen and fallen, and yet God's people continue, right? The kingdom of God will not falter. And that's that's I think the message that we we need to, to get across. So, well, <laughs> if I, I can you know, if I, I can yeah, if I can make ahead. a little practical impl- uh, implication today, as much as we get concerned about wars and rumors of wars mm-hmm. today, as Jesus would say, and the things that are happening, and what does all of this mean? Um, that that we believe uh, and and we have evidence to see that the kingdom of God shall not fall. You know, despite all all these other things, that that the kingdom of God continues. So yeah, it's you know we 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 always want to see ourselves as like oh it, it's we're at the end of it you know like we're, we're you <laughs> right. know what I mean like we're at the very end of it but sure. you think about you know we talk about this as Daniel Evans covering a six hundred year period yeah and there's a lot of people that live and die during this time you That's know right like there's a, there's That's a whole right. generation that are living through the war and the Antiochus Epiphanes and his yeah. And, in his murderous reign and, you know, a yep. desolation, abomination, desolation, that just like, that might be the time that you're in. Yeah. You know, and that you might live and die in that, but the promise of God still remains. Yep. And, you know, that that's the, the message. Just like Daniel is praying to Jerusalem, knowing that there's the decree out there, you know, yes. like... He is living faithfully in a context, yeah. not knowing where he's at in the timeline. Right. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, That's but, right. But knowing that the time, there is a time coming. There, there is a savior right. coming. There is a, a re- redemption coming, and right. that our, our 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 lot is to to live in that, not just retreat yeah. from it, but to remain faithful through that. I'm actually preaching this week. Uh, the title of my sermon is the the coming of the Son of Man, <laughs> mm. and uh, I had kind of a week between stuff. And you know, we're going to do Thanksgiving next week, and then we're into Advent. So, um, what's really I'm using Matthew 25, and what's interesting there is there's there's a couple of stories that are told. Um, Jesus tells Jesus tells a bunch of stories. He's talking about the end of the world in 24, and then in 25, he tells this parable of the of the wise and foolish virgins. You might remember it. Mm, the yes. bridegroom's away for a long time, and uh, they fall asleep. And the wise um, virgins have have bought enough oil, right? And, and then and then. Um, the, the foolish ones haven't. And so they say, hey, give us some of your oil. And they're like, no, you need to go buy it. But all the places to buy oil are shut. And so the bridegroom's coming at a time that they don't expect, right? The next story is really interesting because it's that story of the of the talents, which we do all kinds of crazy things with, which, I mean, most of them are pretty good. I guess I should say crazy things. But what's really interesting to me is it says he entrusts these three servants with different sums of money, with different um, of his resources. And then it says, after that master was gone for a long time, <laughs> he, 
he returns. And, and that's, that's, I, I think that's the point because, because they're talking about the coming of the son of man in chapter 24, but then in chapter 25, it's like, well, if he's gone for a long time, you need to remain faithful throughout that entire period. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, so he's coming soon or not. <laughs> right. And, and either way, our, our, um, command, our, our duty, uh, to him, our, our, whatever you want to call it, our, our life is to remain faithful, you know, in, in both circumstances. So, and, and the waiting period extends longer than individual lifetimes. Exactly. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. And that's, and I think that's, I think that's the hard thing for us. You know, Mm -hmm. it's the hard thing for us to say, well, I want my, I want my conclusion to be the good (laughs) conclusion. Right. Right. But that's nor not, not only is that not a promise that your conclusion, right. like the the final conclusion is a good one if you remain faithful. Like yep. that's that that is good, but your earthly time doesn't you know it doesn't mean like oh I'm going to make it to eighty years old and then Jesus returns and I never <laughs> die. you know what I mean like right. and it's glorified like right. no you're gonna we don't know what's going to happen. Um, we know there's going to be a time of yes. suffering. We we know it. It's it's. Prophesied yeah. and, and there has been, there has been, yeah, there, there has there, been, yeah, and it w- yeah. and it will continue until Christ's return. Yeah, so absolutely, it's it's good and it's hold on. <laughs> That's right. I know this is a tough. This was a tough, uh, tough one. I hope I hope you guys have stuck with us through it. It's it. You know, I love Daniel. It's it, it's interesting. Of course, this is the kind of stuff that I you know the history stuff is what really really kind of jazzes me a little bit. So. Well, I think it's I think it's great, and I think it's we haven't in the last hundred years. There's been lots of we've had the world wars. We've yeah. had a little bit longer than a hundred years, but there's been you know there's been a lot of turmoil. You know, we haven't seen a lot of these things where nations totally get flipped. You know, right. like where we get right. and so or you know as, as you're saying, yeah. kingdoms are yeah. kingdoms are are flipped, and so you know it's we it's hard for us to you know i always think about man like the anxiety you would have during this time of like yeah. all of these things but kind of going that this is what we experienced the wars of nations and all that stuff this is this is not new you know yeah. i think this is a great example of that Although but tell that, people in, in cuban 52 or tell tell uh people in uh you know the um uh the uh, pre-revolution uh, right. Iran, you know, oh, right. you're you're absolutely right. It's, it, for them, the things did flip, you know. Yeah, well, it's the but, U.S. to fall the USSR and and so forth. Exactly. There there have been those things happen during our life, but yeah, it's it doesn't affect us directly, I guess. Right. You, you know, and, and uh, At, but it, most it just, Americans have not experienced a lot <laughs> right, of it directly. Right. Right. There are but plenty it, of people that have immigrated that that have, but. And, and there are things even going on now that that uh, things things are changing. You know, again, it, it's it's it depends on depends on where where you are, uh, not only in 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 the world but also in history. I guess is what we would say. Yeah, but yeah the message is the same. King, the kingdom of God can continues to to remain. So we just need another book of Daniel to spell everything out for us, don't we? <laughs> if only. If so only. Stay tuned to the Bible Bistro. That's. <laughs> We're just going to start saying kings, and this king's going to do this. And oh no, I'll, no, we're not. No, we're not. We're, 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 
this is Prophet Brian. No, oh, just geez. kidding. I'm kidding. Don't be wrong. I'll stone you. All right. Uh, so <laughs> anyway, well, Brian, thanks so much for sharing yeah. Daniel 11 with us and yeah. giving us a uh, look at the history and um, how this is all playing out. And I yeah. think this is this is great to give us that context that I think that we need as we're reading scripture to kind of understand how God is working, what's happening in here. And, you know, as we yeah. kind of go like, God, God sees what's happening here. He's, he's telling his people there's coming a time there is a savior that's coming. Right. So thanks so much. Yeah. I appreciate all the listeners out there. Those yeah. who are still here after an after hour. hour, hour of talking. <laughs> so we appreciate it. Um, and all your support as well. So thanks yeah. so much, Brian. And uh, I'll see you next, next Tuesday. All right. Bye. Bye.